sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello everyone, I'm Mary Woodward, Speech Pathology Australia's Senior Advisor, Justice and Mental Health. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Natalie Kippen. Natalie is a speech pathologist who's involved in the Telethon Kids Project uh, investigating the prevalence of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, otherwise known as FASD, in Bankshire Hill Youth Detention Centre in Perth. Hello, Natalie. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to elders past, present and future. I recognise that the health, social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge that I'm living and working on the land of the Noongar Wadjuk people um, and I pay my respects to the present and past elders of this land and also to the younger people who are helping to lead the community as well. Thanks, Natalie. Natalie, I, I explained in, in the introduction that you um, have been involved in research in a youth detention centre. Just wondering how you ended up working in the justice system in the first place. How you know, You've had an interesting career, I know. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. Um, I think this is my ninth year now of working in the area of justice, but in a few different roles. Um, so I originally worked at Bankshire Hill Youth Detention Centre as a custodial officer. Um, I think you call them youth officers over in New South Wales. <laughs> um, and that was directly with the kids, so 12-hour day shifts and 12-hour night shifts. And um, that work really taught me a great deal about working with children and young people who really um, perhaps haven't had the best start to life. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I decided to return to university and I completed a master's in speech pathology. Um, and as I was close to finishing, um, I started to learn about the work of Laura Care, um, who, oh, you know, yes. is um, a speech pathologist in Victoria. Um, and she pioneer worked pioneer in, in speech pathology and youth justice in Australia. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, she worked on a on the SPICE project, the Speech Pathology in Youth Justice Custodial Education project. Um, and this really inspired me, it grabbed my attention, and I mm. thought, yep, yeah, this is what I want to do. Um, I could really see the value that speech pathology could have in the justice system um, with things like interpersonal communication, uh, language, literacy, and supporting rehabilitation programs. Yeah. So um, I was still an officer at Bankshire Hill, but just completing the last few months um, of my course in speech pathology. Um, so I took copies of that SPICE report that Laura had written um, into work and asked, you know, are there any speech pathology positions, please? <laughs> um, but no, no luck there. Um, 
Anyway, I finished my degree and a little while later, um, it was really exciting to see a speech pathology position become available uh, with Telethon Kids working on a research project in youth justice. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I was really glad um, and fortunate to land that role um, in a clinical assessment team. Um, So I went off to Bankshire Hill uh, again, this time as a speech pathologist. Wearing a different hat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So I've been... Sorry. So I've been um, involved on that research project now for five or six years. Um, and yeah, it's been really wonderful. I think it, it must it must bring a really interesting and different perspective to the role of speech pathologist in that kind of setting, having worked in a different role in the setting. Um, so thinking about that kind of, you know, with both hats on, I suppose, how do you think speech pathologists might work most effectively with youth officers or custodial officers? Mm. Um, That's a really good question because there are challenges to working in a secure facility like a detention centre, as you will know. (laughs) Um, So I guess while it's important in any workplace to spend time um, getting to know our colleagues and build relationships, I think it's even more important in the walls of a detention centre. Um, The workplace is complex, there are competing priorities um, and there is stigma around the justice workforce, unfortunately. Um, And because the workplace is unlike any other, staff can be quite wary of others um, who come in and might might not understand the perspective of the workforce and the operational priorities um, of the centre. So um, it is really important to get to know the staff Um, let the staff get to know you and spend time learning about the operational priorities of the centre. So build Um, those relationships. mm, Definitely, yeah. Um, The staff and the kids are the experts of daily life in that setting. Um, They're the ones with the lived experience of uh, being in the justice system. So as much as Mm. possible, um, if we can consult and collaborate with them, um, I think that's um, really beneficial to our work. Um, and uh, there's one other point I'll raise about um, working with staff, and that's about safety. Um, custodial officers work really hard to keep the detention centre safe for kids and for staff. Um, they're very perceptive and they develop really good skills in reading um, people's body language, um, and they really take note of everything um, going on to keep people safe. So. I think as speech pathologists coming into a centre, we need to be mindful that um, officers will feel a responsibility to keep us safe. Um, So that might mean that we take those few extra minutes each day to touch base with staff um, or to make sure we attend staff meetings and share updates on our work, Um, just keeping other staff informed of what we're doing and asking for their input um, and giving them an opportunity to ask questions as well is really important. Mm. So it's more collaborative than than sort of that consultative model where someone might just come in and you know, give advice and recommendations and off they go. It's far more a collaboration that you'd be recommending. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, so I think you're right. I think we can we can learn a lot from you know both the young people, but also the other staff there as well so it's mutually mutually beneficial that definitely I think we might be surprised how much we can learn from speaking with staff at these (laughs) um, detention centres yeah 
So we've, we mentioned um, your involvement in the Telethon Kids project. Um, what were some of the key findings of, of that study? Mm, so the Telethon Kids Bankshire Hill project was a research project which was funded by the National Health and Medical Research Council of Australia. And the primary purpose of the study was to identify the prevalence of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or FASD um, among young people in youth detention. So we had a clinical team made up of a uh, paediatrician, Dr. Raywin Much, um, an occupational therapist. Uh, we had provisional neuropsychologists and also um, me as the speech pathologist. And we worked with 99 young people, nearly 100, but 99. <laughs> Just one off. <laughs> I know. Uh, and we provided um, health and uh, neurocognitive assessments um, with them. Um, and we were guided in our work by the Australian Guide to the Diagnosis of FASD. Um, and that can be found online at fasdhub.org.au. Okay. Um, but because we had this multidisciplinary approach, as well as input from um, our non-clinical research team members, we were able to um, highlight many areas of strength as well as difficulty for young people. Um, so our, our main key finding of the study was that of the 99 young people, 36% um, met criteria for fetal alcohol spectrum disorder um, so this means that 36% of young people had been exposed to alcohol prenatally and they were found to struggle in multiple areas of functioning. So with things like uh, remembering information, problem solving, focusing their attention, uh, using fine motor skills, um, and also in the area of communication, so processing verbal information. Um, so for the speech pathologists listening along, they'll be interested to know that um, of the young people that uh, were identified with FASD, 69% um, were also found to have problems with receptive and or expressive communication skills. Um, so 69% of the 36%, is that right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, so there was quite a big overlap between FASD and uh, spoken and written communication skill difficulties. Um, yeah. And I guess that really highlights that um, these young people are facing some really difficult challenges in their daily lives, like simple things like learning at school. Yeah. Um, Were there also young people who um, were identified as having other um other needs, whether speech language communication needs or other neurodevelopmental needs, but that didn't meet the criteria for FASD? Yeah, yep, there were. Um, so out of the 99 young people, we also found that 89% um, really struggled in at least one area of functioning uh, that we assessed. Um, and not all young people were exposed to alcohol prenatally. So there are certainly um, other developmental um, difficulties that young people are mm. experiencing. Mm. Yeah, um, and I guess because of our findings um, that there are um, so many needs among young people in youth detention, we wanted to start um, 
helping the workforce to think about ways to better support the kids that they work with. Okay. Um, so my colleague, Hayley Passmore, she um, has been working with the WA Justice workforce, providing some training around um, working with young people who have developmental difficulties like FASD um, or like communication and literacy difficulties. So she spent a lot of time at the centre and learned from staff that there was a need for uh, real practical training that was relevant to the setting of a detention centre. Um, and she also learned from the kids that they wanted the staff to be trained in ways to better mm. support them and their needs, uh, which was really, uh, really valuable. Um, so Hayley worked closely with staff um, and with the young people to develop a workforce training program. Um, and I have heard from her that, yeah, the training was really well received um, and this is ongoing. Um, staff are really eager to continue having good, to have um, good quality training and resources that can help them in their work, um, regardless of whether a child has uh, FASD or yeah. um, other difficulties. Because presumably a lot of the strategies, etc., are going to be relevant and helpful to a lot of young people, regardless of, of diagnosis, etc., yeah, that's right. Um, and the, the training really um, provides strategies for different areas of functioning. So um, yeah. how to support a child with memory or how to support a child with language and communication. Um, so it has been uh, very well received by staff. Yes, I've, I've also heard how well received. I've, I've seen some of it. I've been lucky enough to, to see a few little clips of, of Haley's training and it certainly is you know, a fantastic resource. And I know there's been a lot of interest from, from other jurisdictions and other organisations about accessing that training. Um, I don't know where things are at in terms of it being accessible more widely. Um, so how, how might people find out more about that if they're, like, who should we direct them to if mm. they wanted to find out a bit more? Yeah, sure. Um, Hayley is um, at Telethon Kids as well, so we can pass on um, her email and contact details if anyone is interested in hearing more about the training. Um, I know she'll be I, inundated, so she, <laughs> but that's yeah. great. I mean, it just shows the interest and the demand for it. So it's... Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think she's had interest from all over the world, um, I'm New sure. Zealand and yeah, and Europe. Yes, um, yeah, through very... Um, a very valuable resource that has been developed. Mm. Um, mm. And I just want to add here, because I've been talking about FASD, that um, we know that drinking alcohol during pregnancy does occur across the world um, and at yeah. varying levels. And there are certainly mixed messages out there um, as to whether it's safe or not to drink alcohol during pregnancy. So um, our message from Telethon Kids, um, and that's based on a lot of research, is that if you are pregnant or could be pregnant or trying to become pregnant, um, the safest option is not to drink alcohol. Um, there are many reasons why alcohol might be consumed during pregnancy. Um, so it is important that we don't judge and don't stigmatise families, um, but rather it's important to support families who are going through pregnancies um, and um, to support families who have children who might have been exposed to alcohol prenatally. Um, but if you want to meet, read more about our results, um, we have some open access papers online and we can share those links with you. Wonderful, thank you. Um, aside from your findings about FASD, I believe you 
also had some findings about language diversity. Is that right? Mm, yeah. So our speech pathology assessment um, not only looked at areas of communication difficulty, uh, but also communication strengths. Um, so our youth detention centre here in Western Australia um, has young people from all over the state, and we are a very big state. Um, <laughs> yes. So this included uh, non-Aboriginal young people and Aboriginal young people. Um, and as we know, a number of Aboriginal languages, uh, including Aboriginal English, are spoken by Aboriginal families as first or home languages, um, and in addition to standard Australian English. Um, so in our Telethon Kids study, we worked with the um, accredited interpreters from Aboriginal Interpreting WA, and we identified um, eight different languages spoken as first languages among the young people. Um, and there were more languages spoken as second and third languages. Um, so this quite large number of languages yeah. among the younger people really highlighted that. Were those, sorry, sorry, not, were those eight languages all um, different Aboriginal languages or were there also um, two international languages? Yeah, as first languages, um, yeah. there were seven Aboriginal languages okay. and standard Australian English as the eighth. Wow. Okay. Um, and there were some other international languages as second and third languages as well. Right. Yeah. Thank you for um, that. Um, but, I, yeah, I guess the, the number of these languages among the young people in youth detention just shows um, that there are strong connections to families, to communities, mm. to cultures, mm. um, and Aboriginal languages are critically important to acknowledge and support, um, such as in education and health and yes. justice systems. Um, and I, I'm no, by no means an expert in Aboriginal languages, and there are many people who are Aboriginal who can talk about Aboriginal languages. Um, but I do know that effective two-way communication requires joint understanding. Um, and respect. And yeah, yeah, and respect. Um, but if schools and healthcare providers and just the justice system all use a different language to that mm. of these young people, then there's likely to be a breakdown in, in two-way communication and um, this can disadvantage these young people and their families um, simply because the agencies they're involved with use a different language to them. Well, and it, and it isn't always... It, it's, it's so complex. The language of the health and the justice systems, especially the justice systems, are so complex anyway. So even for, for people who, who are speaking their first language it can be incredibly difficult to understand a lot of the terminology and a lot of the questions, etc., that are asked through justice processes, let alone if, if you know, if, if you're expected to be dealing with that in your second or third language. Mm, be, and I, I have no idea how, how people do it. And as you say, it, it can cause so much disadvantage. That's right. And if we think about uh, legal proceedings... Um, yeah supervised release board meetings, rehabilitation programs. Um, these are all generally administered in standard Australian English um, and... Complex in standard Australian English. <laughs> complex standard Australian English, yeah, even <laughs> I find them difficult. Exactly. Um, 
But in our study, less than a third of young people were speakers of standard Australian English as their first language. Yeah. Um, so we really do have a mismatch in in language um, provision and language use, I guess, in the justice system. Um, I think as speech pathologists working in the justice um, in justice settings, the languages our clients speak are super important to consider um, because there are implications for the way that we provide our services mm. as well. Um, in our study, we were really conscious of the fact that um, I used a different language to many of the kids. So I sought advice from other speech pathologists, from linguists um, and other experts in Aboriginal English. Um, and I worked with the interpreters from Aboriginal Interpreting WA. Um, it is really important to start thinking about these different ways of working that promote Aboriginal language and, and culturally safe services. Um, we have very few speech pathologists in Australia who are Aboriginal mm. um, and who speak Aboriginal languages. So I am really hopeful in the future that we will have Absolutely. many more um, speech speeches and, and also teachers and psychologists. Well, and hopefully easier um, access Aboriginal. To, to Aboriginal interpreting services as, as well. Um, to try to kind of bridge that gap where we don't have those skills ourselves. Mm, yeah, um, I'm quite aware of the Western Australian services, but um, less aware of um, some of the mm. other states. But I do believe that all states have um, services for um, Aboriginal languages. Yes, I believe so. I believe the services look different in different states and, and um, availability and funding, etc. isn't... Um, isn't always as as easy as, as as we would like, but as you say, in the future, hopefully, um, um, it'll be wonderful to be able to to overcome some of that kind of innate disadvantage. Mm, that's that's right. Um, and I guess in the meantime, we just have to um, get better at listening to First Nations peoples. Um, yes. And actively upskill ourselves so that we can provide effective services. Absolutely. Yes, the onus is definitely on us as non-Indigenous people to um, try to upskill ourselves and, and increase our knowledge so that we can support all our clients as effectively as we can. So I'm sure, I, I know that the project has um, had a lot of interest across the world, but certainly within WA and within the justice system. So I'm just wondering what impact it, it's having and how... I suppose how the playing field for speech pathologists and interest in, in speech pathology has been evolving um, in WA, in the justice system. Mm, yeah, the research has uh, received a lot of it, um, interest um, and there's certainly interest from government departments about how we can better identify and respond to um, the needs of young people, uh, including around language and communication. Um, and it has been really fantastic to see that over the five or six years since our Banksy Hill project started, um, speech pathology is increasingly being recognised in justice and legal settings. Um, we've started to see speech pathologists being part of multidisciplinary uh, assessment teams that are undertaking court ordered and other types of justice related assessments. That's um, great. 
Yeah, it's really great. It's shining a light on on language difference and mm. communication difficulties. Um, and this has been happening in the children's court um, and also in courts involving adults. Um, so it is um, growing out, growing further than just the children's court, which is great to see. Um, we're hopeful, I guess, to see employment of speech pathologists um, in youth justice services in WA. Um, we are starting to see that in some other states of Australia, but um, not yet in WA. No, we know that there has been some interest and we'll continue to, to advocate for that. Yeah, it would be great to see. Um, we have talked, as, as Speech Pathology Australia has as well, we've talked to the Department of Justice um, and they've been very open and willing to learn about the role of speech pathologists. So um, we will eagerly watch this space. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> we've also had interest in... Um, how the WA police um, can better facilitate legal proceedings with children and young people. So that's also been um, really wonderful to see. Um, and we've provided information to them um, about responding to language difference as well as communication disorders um, as well. So we might, we might see intermediaries or communication assistants as they're also known. Um, in the future for investigative interviewing and court proceedings. Um, so yeah, overall we're we're watching this area and continuing to advocate for getting services that will help mm. to support these young people. Um, I think, and I know you'd agree that our speeches yeah. are just so well positioned to work in Absolutely. justice settings because of our skills in in both spoken and written language. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your for your time and for sharing your your knowledge and your experiences with us, Natalie. I have no doubt at all that there will be lots of interest and lots of questions coming your way. So <laughs> prepare yourself. <laughs> um, but no, thank you so much for that. It, it it's a fascinating area and, and one that I think you know we're we're all keen to know more about so that we can, as we say, we can improve our practice um, and and support people to the best of our abilities. So thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.